part of the impetus for doing this show, which we did a while back, was a production of a play at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven called Bad Jews. Partly on the strength of its title, but also its subject matter. It excited a lot of controversy, but it also broke all of the box office records for the Long Wharf Theater, which made us think people really do want to talk about the subject of Jewish identity. What makes somebody Jewish? What makes somebody, to use the title, a good Jew or a bad Jew? And that led to this show. Oh, I'm not. I'm not Jewish. Oh, you're not. Did you think I was Jewish? <laughs> yes, I did. Because of Bird. Yes, because of because Bird. Because of Bird, yes. Yeah. I've often wondered, you know, would people really think that? Yes, and, and you did nothing to perpetuate that, did you? Well, no, I mean, well, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean. Oh, how about on my birthday? Muzzle tub, Larry. Well, you're Jewish. Yeah. I'm uh, respectful. On, on the high holy days, I said, hey, you going to Templeburg? And you went, no. Right, because I'm, I'm not Jewish, so yeah. why would I go to Templeburg? <laughs> right, like... I'm a Jew, but not a practicing Jew. Oi, Larry, with this. Oi, again, see? It's an expression. It's, another, it's an expression. It's an expression that what people is this use. thing? A shofar. Why is this on your desk? People give me gifts. They'll give me like that for my desk or the mezuzah that's on the door. What are you, by the way? Well, I'm Swedish. I got a Swede lawyer. She's going to get everything. You, you got- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's Larry David. We couldn't begin this. Well, I, actually, you know, we usually begin, obviously, with our own comedy, but it just felt wrong as we contemplated a show about Jewish identity for uh, for Kion and me, a couple of Goyim, to do a comedy bit about Jewish identity. So uh, we turned it over to a master. That's, of course, Larry David, finding out that his lawyer, whom he has almost assumed is Jewish, is not Jewish, which is not necessarily germane to the conversation we're going to have, but it was funny. Or maybe it is germane. So uh, let me just sort of try to set this up a little bit. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you who's here in the studio with me. Uh, Mark Oppenheimer writes the Beliefs column every other Saturday in the New York Times. He has the best managed career in journalism. Uh, he's an editor-at-large for Tablet, uh, which is a web magazine about uh, Judaism. And he's the author of many books, including 13 in a Day, about a year spent crashing bar mitzvahs. We think it may be out of print, but you can bring it back by popular demand at the end of this show. 13 in a day will be revived. Uh, and I'm, I'm a Jew. And you're a Jew. Yeah. Absolutely. That's my principal qualification <laughs> my principal for being here today. Yeah, if you weren't Jewish, I don't think we right. would have booked you. Uh, Dan Friedman is uh, managing. These are people joining us by phone. Uh, Dan Friedman, the managing editor of the Jewish Daily Forward. He has also written for the New York Times, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Ali G Show, which, of course, is hosted by a Jew. Uh, and, and Dan's uh, a Jew. And Dan's a Jew. I'm a Jew, yeah. As yeah. And Marjorie Ingle is with us. You'll see a pattern emerging here. Uh, Marjorie Ingle is a, a contributing editor for Tablet. We already explained what that is. She's also working on a parenting book that looks at the Jewish mother stereotype to be published in the spring of 2016. Um, and so here we go. I'm a Jew. And she's a Jew. She's, she's a Jew. All right. So I'm not a Jew. Uh, I'm Colin McEnroe, your host. So why are we doing this show? We're, for a bunch of different reasons, but because we really <laughs> wanted to. We wanted to do a show that would kick as many tripwires as possible. No, that's not. Uh, we're doing a show to sort of explore the question. I mean, uh, every single ethnic and religious minority that comes to America goes through some kind of curve that's pretty similar. So one of the questions that I have as we begin the show is, you know, what are the – on the other hand, every single story is different. So to, so if Jewish identity is undergoing some seismic changes, and I think statistically you can pretty easily argue that it is, how specific are those uh, changes to Jews and to, to Jewish identity, and how, how much is this basically just the curve that any ethnic or religious minority rides? That's one of my, one of my first questions. And, 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 and I think the other qu- question that I have right away is – 
what exactly, what, what, what point on that curve are we at? So I'll just give you some numbers to give you a sense of what point on the curve we're at. These are, a lot of these come from the a Pew study. Uh, so among so-called millennials, 32% of them uh, identify as Jews without religion. Um, With 32% of Jewish millennials. Jewish millennials, right, It's yes, not the actually. case that 32% of all millennials. I also <laughs> identify as a Jew without religion. <laughs> no, but that's a good point. Yeah, among Jewish millennials, so this is all I have to, and, and then um, among Jews marrying from 2005 forward, I think I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think I have it right. But from Jews marrying from 2005 forward, 58% are intermarrying, are marrying outside uh, of Jewry. And uh, if you look at the non-Orthodox, it's 71%. These are sort of seismic kinds of numbers, Mark. I mean, these are uh, numbers that really do kind of re- represent this huge change and, and, and do raise this question of, uh, first of all, if I mean, if Jewish identity is rooted in religion and family, and both of those things are changing so drastically, what does that do to Jewish identity? I mean, is that, in, in, first of all, to your mind, is that the question we're exploring here? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think the, the another way to put the question is, you know, if um, if people aren't religiously observant and don't think it's important to follow the religious laws, which, you know, by tradition, by custom, include marrying fellow Jews and, and celebrating Jewish holidays in the home and things, then then what is it that they're claiming when they say, that they're Jews. Um, one thing I would I would bracket is or point out is that of course Orthodoxy is exploding in numbers, and so um, whereas after World War II a lot of Jews correctly felt that there was some sort of crisis and whether. Judaism would survive and whether Jewry would survive that's that that question has been answered there will you know there will always be Jews there will be more Jews than there than, than there are Amish there will be more Jews probably than Episcopalians uh, in the United States um, but a lot of them if you look 20 and 50 years down the road will be Orthodox Jews so the question is more what's to become of the liberal or reform uh, or non-practicing Jew that gave rise to Jewish humor Jewish Hollywood um, Jewish uh, what we think of as sort of secularized Jewish culture so, um, Marjorie, then one of the questions becomes, to what degree are those qualities that Mark just enumerated, to what degree do they exist outside of a religious context and maybe even outside of a, a familial context? There are some who might argue, well, you don't have those two things. You don't have any kind of, of medium in which the qualities that Mark just talked about can grow in. It's a good question. I mean, I think that all of us whether we're Jewish or not, we know what Jewish humor is, and we know that, you know, John Stewart, a secular Jew um, who's, you know, absence from our TV, we're all going to be mourning. That is a very specific kind of Jewish comedic rhythm. Um, I think that sort of the uh, American literary history is full of what we would consider, even when they're not about Judaism, this very sort of Jewish storytelling rhythms and emphasis on the family. Um, I don't know what happens uh, 50, 60, 70 years in the future, um, because uh, even as the Orthodox population is um, exploding, I don't know whether that's the source. Historically, that hasn't been the source of what we think of as Jewish culture, Jewish music, you know, which has a huge emphasis on American music. Um, but in general, we haven't, this is going to sound horrible, but we haven't had to worry about what happens 200 years down the road because somebody generally, some horrible anti-Semitic thing happens historically and we get kicked out of a country and then we start rebuilding and we start thinking about what it means to be a Jew again. So who knows, maybe that'll happen. <laughs> Ideally not. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say um, that um, I actually, uh, Marjorie, whose work I totally admire and in fact have edited uh, 
any number of times, and you know we've we've been collaborators. But I think um, Marjorie, I don't think that's right. I don't think there's anything specifically Jewish about John Stewart. I think that um, lots of people. I think that if you look, if you know, if you looked at what Larry Wilmore is doing, or what Stephen Colbert, who's you know from a religious Catholic family, or what Hannibal Burris are doing, I think I think they're all doing American shticky humor um, that is not specifically anything. And of course, it was hugely influenced by. Um, by Jewish comics, I mean they, that, that was the the wellspring of a lot of those of those of that style. But um, I don't think I think it's become broadly American now, and I don't think that um, as bagels have become broadly American. I don't. I think that uh, it's very hard to point to a specifically Jewish culture outside of Jewish religious and, and, and observance practices and the arguments that Jews have on radio shows like this, which which feel very <laughs> which are very specifically Jewish. But otherwise, and I mean, of course, Dan's a comedy writer by you know uh, well, we'll get, from let's, his infancy. Let's, so. let's save. Comedy for the second segment because okay, I feel it, we'll I feel like it's so easy to fetishize right. that and sort of you know miss a larger point. So but I would I would love to hear from from Marjorie what how what do you think is specifically Jewish about about any aspect of of culture? Culture is a big word, um, but in terms of I, I think that the sort of interest American literature has often been very interested in immigrant literature, and I think that that is a very Jewish thing. Um, it's and I think you know the values of tikkun olam, of doing um, mitzvot, of helping other people, um, these are also considered, you know, yeah, yeah, everybody's got those values. But I think the social action thing is a big part of Judaism and Jewish practice and Jewish identity in a way that it isn't always with other kinds of religions. And um, in terms of the, you know, music, you you know, I want to go. Well, let's go back to the John Stewart thing. I I don't think Hannibal Buress and um, oh, you know what? You want to save. You want to save. <laughs> well, the, I was going to save the, the comedy, but I, I don't want to inter- interfere with the natural flow of conversation. Either, okay. So. <laughs> um, you know, I think the that Larry David sticky rhythm. Mm-hmm. That's not a Hannibal Buress rhythm. That's a John Stewart rhythm. Um, that's a Borscht Belty kind of thing. Um, and I don't know the sort of the nebbishy narrator, which. I think that comes from Jewish tradition. I want to. I, I want to just ask a different question slightly, which is: It seems to me, and, and I'll go to Dan just because I, I, I need to hear from Dan. Um, He's it, the only one with a cool accent yeah. who's on this show. Well, one of the questions that I had as I started to prepare this show is: What what point are we on in the assimilation continuum? You know, and and how much tension is there around assimilation? Because that's one of the questions we're asking, right? Every ethnic minority faces this as you move forward into assimilation. You ask yourselves a lot of questions: What do I have to keep? What do I have to leave behind? What do I want to leave behind? What do I want to keep? You know, these are the kinds of questions. And, and you know, if you look at other minorities that are much more in a much more problematic place right now, you can see a lot of those questions unfolding. They're unfolding for right now for Muslims, for people from the Middle East in general and for South Asians. You know, I, I'm kind of on an Ayad Akhtar binge right now, and his <laughs> plays are all about that. But, Dan, we haven't had a Jewish president. We may have elected a Jewish vice president who didn't get to serve. Um, I know, I'm not, I'm trying to think about like news anchors, if anybody, I don't even know any of like the network well, news. Barbara anchor. Walters. Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters would be, a, be, I mean, I'm just sort of wondering how many barriers are there left? How much of the assimilation story is essentially told and settled business? Well, I think that it's, um, you know, you, you're talking about some of the populations who are, Sort of maybe further da- f- earlier on the assimilation curve or the acculturation curve, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a piece in I think it was uh, it might be in the Economist uh, 
earlier this month uh, talking about German Americans, which we don't really think of uh, as a separate um, as a separate group most of the time, and that's partly because they're an accepted they are Americans. What's more American than apple pie? Well, you know, it's a German thing that they brought over, <laughs> and uh, and so you know, most things are more American than apple pie. It's an old world fruit, and um, so the, so you know, are are Jews heading towards? sort of the, the the condition of german americans you know the apple pie is so it con- you know it's quintessentially american bagels are becoming quintessentially american as as a as an englishman you know i come over here and so much of the surrounding culture and i think this is what um mark and marjorie to some extent were saying so much of the surrounding culture is deeply jewish and so we can have a discussion about whether Hannibal Barres uh, is more or less Jewish than Larry Mil- Wilmore is more or less Jewish <laughs> than uh, Dave Chappelle. Like, like that's a that's a great conversation to have. But you know, you, when you do that conversation in England or in France, like it's, it's, it doesn't make sense, right? And so, so you know, there's some you know with somewhere on that continuum, and there are certain differences between. Jewish Americans and German Americans as they go along that, and of course African Americans have a whole different thing. And so the question is not whether this is a, a continuum or at least a flat spectrum, but but how how is there a three dimensionality to this? How is the specific Jewish question played out? And you know, and, and I and, and I think that when you when you're talking about all these different questions, you know, the immigrant question, the Jewish mother question, we were doing a, a piece on Itali- on Jewish mothers, and we were asking the question, how is this different from Italian mothers? And, we, you know, really the accent's just slightly different, right? And, mm-hmm. and, so, and so, but I think you have to go, and, and Marjorie, I'm sure, will correct me on that, and, and there are some <laughs> things to, to do with that, but, but I think you have to ask uh, not only about those things which are specific to each um, different ethnicity or people, but also like look at the you know the, the vast differences. Like the the Jewish American experience is not by any means a monolithic experience, nor the experience of a monolithic people. You know, it's a it's an extremely heterogeneous experience of a, of many different groups of people coming over. Um, you know, I mean, I'm I guess I'm a Jewish American kind of. I'm not quite got citizenship yet, but you know, I I arrived in the last twenty we're, years. We're pulling for you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, let, let me make it a, a religious question for a second. All right, so let's let's you know, Mark just um, moderated a panel. Uh, about the, the uh, uh, sort of a community disc- discussion because the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven is teaching a play right now called Bad Jews, which was also played in New York. And so, um, and I think the, the necessity, as Mark correctly identified, of having a community discussion panel was the title, not actually the content of the play, which, you know, none of the people complaining about it had actually seen. Um, but, you know, in the play, there's sort of a lot of questions about, you know, who's a good Jew, who's a bad Jew, uh, a lot of questions about assimilation. And, and so... I won't take an example from the play. I'll just take an example that sort of comes from life. So let's say that you are a partner in a not especially Jewish law firm, but you're Jewish, or you're chief of surgery, not at Mount Sinai Hospital, but just at any old hospital, and it's Yom Kippur. Um, It seems to me that... You know, the, your decision about whether you're co- going to come to work that day or not is an interesting decision and, and, and speaks volumes about where you are in that process. Um, if, if you are part of that, uh, that large percentage of Jews without religion, it still might bother you a little bit to go to work on Yom, Yom Kippur. On the other hand, you might be thinking, ah, on the other hand, I've sort of I've, I, I've worked my way into this part of the world where that kind of stuff just you know, isn't necessarily as important. I don't know. Am I, am I asking you a question that makes I, any I think, sense? Yeah, yeah. Go, you go well, ahead, Mark. So 
you know, I think the question you're asking is, does, you know, how, how much of how much does the religious part of Judaism matter at all, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if one sees it as religiously significant or religiously meaningful to stay home on important holidays, mm-hmm. um, then one stays home on important holidays, right? This is only a question for people for whom they don't feel a religious imperative, uh, whether they sense that that imperative comes from God or just from tradition or just from a sense of of how they want to ritualize, you know, and sacralize parts of their life and make certain days special. The way that there are non theistic Christians who nevertheless want to observe Christmas and Easter for reasons of tradition and custom, whatever. Right. But you know, if you're someone who doesn't have that relationship to Judaism at all, then it's a pretty easy question. You you go to work or you just take the day off because people will copy the day off. <laughs> but or, or but if you do that, your cousin, you're more. Yeah, uh, radicalized cousin radicalized is the wrong word, but more motivated cousin <laughs> Daphna uh, will will scream at you, right? Will scream well, at you. What are you doing going people, to work on Yom Kippur? There's people who are going to scream at you, no matter what you do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we're that's, very you know, good screaming people. That's Jewish identity. We just <laughs> summed it up. I, but you know, I have a friend, for example, who happens to be a brain surgeon, but um, which is which, which is funny in itself if you know him. But um, and, and he's know, married he's to Jewish, a rocket scientist, right? And <laughs> exactly, it's not rocket science, right. and. And, um, you know, he, you know, he says that, that, you know, having bacon is part of his Jewish identity because he, he eats bacon. He goes, my gosh, I'm Jewish and I'm eating bacon. That's, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing for him. And so I think, you know, there's a, a, a many, many different things that can bring it to mind. And, and um, you know, Mark's right to bring, you know, to say that you know, the religious rituals are meaningful. I think, you know, two of the most important um, cultural um, uh, inventions, really, of the last uh, decade or two decades uh, in in American Judaism have been birthright and J-date. And, and those are not, you know, religious. Well, I mean, it depends, depends how it goes for you, but they're really not religious um, um, uh, organizations. They're purely intended to um, provide a context for procreation and marriage, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> we should say that birthright, for those who don't know, offers free trips to Israel to college-aged Jews. No. And J-Date helps them find spouses, mm-hmm. although there are Gentiles on J-Date looking for Jewish spouses. And I think Gentiles a- a- can access birthright under certain circumstances, too. I think you need some claim to Jewish. I'm not sure. It's, I don't know. Yes, yes. So those, those are at least the stated aims. But, you know, when it comes down to it, they're, they're both um, millions, if not billions of dollars put to, towards um, making Jewish babies. Right. And then once you have the Jewish babies, there's PJ Library, which sends out free books to basically any family that can demonstrate Judaism in certainly in North America. And I think there's about seven or eight other countries where you just say, hey, I'm a Jew. And they just keep sending you children's books until your kid's eight. And yeah, it's you, you, don't have to dem- you don't have to demonstrate anything. You just go online and sign up. So, yeah. What are, what are, yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Don't, there's, they, don't, they don't ask for a, you know. Where are your papers? Where are your papers? Yeah. I mean, you have to demonstrate <laughs> – Proximity of some form to some distribution center. <laughs> yeah, it's in certain cities. It's based in right. Longmeadow, by the way. Oh, is it? Oh, it I is. Did not know. Yeah. Um, all right. You know, we also went out. We I say we Ryan King, one of our interns, went out. We wanted to know sort of how does this play in college campuses? What kinds <laughs> of conversations uh, are had about this on college campuses? Because I think that's a kind of undulating curve too, in a lot of different ways. So uh, you're going to hear um, a young woman named Danya, Danielle Shalou, uh, who was uh, interviewed by Ryan King uh, on the UConn campus. Wolfie, we're going to play cut. Number one from Danielle. So the thing that I think is the beautiful thing about the Jewish religion is that it's both a religion and it's not, and then it's a people and it's not. And it's this combination of the culture part and the religion part and the belief in the God part. 
But I think at its core, Judaism is really this set of beliefs that is shared by all these disparate people from all these disparate groups. My my personal opinion is that Judaism can be whatever you want it to be. I went to a service once with humanist Jews who believe just that, that there is no God, but there's still the whole thousands of years of tradition and culture behind it. For me, my God is who I want my God to be, and it may not align with what the standard teaching is, but that's between me and my God. So, um, Mark Oppenheimer, there are rabbis tearing their hair out right now, right? Because, I mean, I mean, it's a profoundly American statement and probably a profoundly millennial statement, too, that I can pretty much – this can be a very bespoke uh, interaction that I have right. with my religion and my heritage. There is a very rich tradition in, in Judaism of quarreling over whether this is – I wouldn't say – uh, culture, but what what some people will say, I mean, Mordecai Kaplan, the founder of Reconstru- the Reconstructionist school of thought in Judaism, said it's it's a civilization. That was his term. It's it's a people. So, and one of the things this people has done is create holy books, but they've done other things, mm-hmm. and those other things matter for for a sense of cohesion as well. I mean, my my, and I, you know, I think I think that very articulate woman was was describing the way a lot of of Jews in America and elsewhere uh, feel, not least in in Israel, where there are you know, millions of non-observant, totally atheistic Jews alongside some very orthodox ones. Um, my question is always, I think when we try to put a finer point on what that culture is, we always end up talking in just ridiculous stereotypes that, that endure for at most a generation or two, right? So the Larry David shticky stuff or specific kinds of Jewish cuisine or even the stereotype of, of the Jewish American princess, which has nearly disappeared, or the Jewish mother, which has a little bit more endurance. Th- those are two or three generation phenomena that don't really have much um, heft to them. And so if you – they're not really going to carry on three generations down the road if that's what your great-grandchildren have as their Judaism is like the 1968 version of what a Jewish mother was, then it's a pretty thin culture. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, Dan, before you go, I just want to uh, throw that at Marjorie for a second too because it seems to me – I don't know. A few years ago, I was at the bar mitzvah of a young man, uh, a friend of my son's, and I had a goyim – Epiphany about Judaism. Um, I mean, I was just sort of, sort of sitting there, and certainly not my first bar mitzvah by any stretch of the imagination. But I suddenly thought, "Wow, this is." I mean, a group of people have decided that these things, which have existed for thousands of years, these words, these ideas, these practices, they are going to survive. They are. They. They don't. No matter what happens to us, this is going to survive. We're going to do this. We're going to keep doing this, and the next generation is going to do this, and the next generation is going to do this. And I really had this very powerful moment that had nothing to do with my own <laughs> heritage with or birthright. Your, your own lapsed Catholicism. My, yeah, my own lapsed everything. <laughs> I, you know, but I just sort of thought, this is kind of amazing. And, and in a way, uh, as much as Judaism is a lot like other c- cultures and other religions, I almost couldn't think of quite a parallel that's exactly like this that's as powerful and persistent and I think as intentional and, and in a way that's the thing that sits over all that very temporally confined stuff that Mark was just talking about that I was very eloquent Colin <laughs> um, I, uh, I agree with you and I, as you were talking I was thinking about um, I went to an Orthodox Jewish day school until eighth grade and then I went to public school my kids are solely public school educated um, but they go to Jewish camp and um, when I visited when I picked up my daughter at Jewish camp, she was singing to me a song that she had learned at camp. She's not fluent in Hebrew, but it was a Hebrew song, and it was one that I had not heard since I was 12. And I had 
tears come to my eyes because even though it had no, you know, it had no religious meaning to me, but somehow music is this real common denominator in this notion that probably my parents knew that song and, you know, maybe Josie's children will know that song. Um, my husband has family in Brazil and um, we, they, it's the same melodies um, and that there's something really powerful about that. Um, Dan, I know you had a response that you were going to make, but I'm going to um, fire a question at you and you can combine it into the response you were going to make, too. Which, you know, one of the other reactions that I was having to that young lady uh, speaking uh, on the UConn campus was that when, as I see these things play out from my position on the sidelines, but, you know, even in the uh, this the play Bad Jews that, that Mark was just uh, moderating the panel about, you know, the question comes up time and again, well, it isn't really just about you, right? It isn't about you and what you decide and what you pick as you pass through the smorgasbord line, uh, you know, what you decide to dish up onto your plate. I mean, there is an entire culture out there and there's a set of obligations and, and there's, you know, things that, that happen generations before you. So who are you to say, well, you know, I think I'll keep this one and drop that one. Um, and to me, that's another one of the questions for, for any ethnic minority, but maybe Jews more than most people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that everyone, I think what you're describing is the millennial generation, whether that's Jewish or not Jewish. You know, it's the people who, you know, don't remember um, music or film or books in solid form. And that's, you know, that's, you know, I, I, you know and I, I was a teacher for a long time before I was a journalist. And I, you know, you kind of learn to trust the next generation that they're going to do it their way, but they'll do it. And so you have to, you know, so... What I was going to butt in and say, and this is how it joins together, is that um, you know your you know your goyish revelation at the bar mitzvah was there's an intentionality and there's a really clear way that you pass stuff on from generation to generation through religion. Now culture is always going to be more amorphous uh, than that, and you hope that it's going to pass on. Obviously, as you know, Jews have taken different routes through the world. They've accreted different types of cultural norms, different philosophies, different foods. I mean, the bagel is now a quintessential Jewish thing and as a challah, but, you know, they're just Eastern European breads, you know, that have been used by the Jews. And, you know, and, and Jewish philosophy is deeply influenced by Arab philosophy of the um, of the early part of the second millennium and so you know you've got you know you've you've got these continual you know um, absorptions and acculturations of different cultures that go around and you know and, and and obviously religion tends to be a little bit more conservative but um and mark may know the dates of this you know i think the bar mitzvah ceremonies as a rite and as a ritual of passage are only like a couple of centuries old you know that it feels ancient but it's a response to modernity and i think you know that we're going through a different stage of modernity and you know it feels it's very worrying to people who are committed to a certain small c conservative sense of religion and culture to see people take these smorgasbord but you know the young people, next generation, the generation after that, they're going to do it their way. And if they understand what's important and why it's important and what the responsibilities that go hand in hand with the rights and the beauty and, you know, how you make people cry and make people laugh, you know, they'll do it their way. You know, I don't know what that's going to be because, you know, but my 
daughters will do and their children behind them. We have to take a break right now or I'll be in so much trouble. I'm in trouble anyway. <laughs> uh, and I do want to say we're, we're going to end with another clip from Danielle Chaloux, particularly out of fairness to her. Uh, I've picked on millennials so much on this show that I'm amazed there's not a class action suit, suit uh, filed against me. But in fact, um, many of the things that we're just saying right now uh, are you'll hear here in this uh, quote from Danielle. At my bat mitzvah, there's a ceremony you do. So I'm up there, and I'm 13, and then my parents are there, and then my grandparents were there. And there's a whole ceremony where you pass the Torah down, and it's very symbolic. You know, and the rabbi is talking about, you know, it's come down all this way from Mount Sinai, and it's been passed through all the generations. And here you are, and you're ready to receive it and take its teachings into your heart. And then... You know, you look to the other side and he makes, you know, and you're 13 and you're just standing there thinking, oh, my God, I hope I don't forget the prayers. And what am I going to say in my speech? And, you know, am I standing up straight enough for my mom and all those things? And then gestures to the generations in front of you. And it's also just as important to teach them. And I don't know if at that moment it really struck me of, oh, yes, well, I need my children to be Jewish. But I think it did make an impression of, yeah, I can't really be the end. You think a man his age should get married? They only met six months ago. It depends. If she's a nice girl, why not? She's nice, but why do they have to rush in? He's still paying alimony. Mother, stop. Let them lead their own lives. I have the same problem with my daughter. They grow up and they think they have all the answers. How old is your daughter? Twenty-six. You got any pictures? Home. Home. I always carry Sheldon around wherever oh I go. Oh, God, this can't See? be happening. Here he is. I need air. Two years I need old. oxygen. And I'm I need, I gotta get out in the fresh air. I need cyanide. You can't oh. show pictures. And isn't he a darling? That, of course, is Woody Allen. All right, so we are talking about Jewish identity. Now we can come sort of to comedy. Uh, although, uh, Marjorie Engel, I want to begin with something that sort of both is and isn't a, a comedy because it's it's. I'm finding that the show Transparent, available on Amazon, which uh, Mark says you've written about recently, is, I mean, in terms of running its thumb down the knife's edge between what's comedy and serious, what's comic and serious about the whole question of Jewish identity, it's to me, it's as interesting a show about Jewish identity as it is about sexual identity or gender identity, or I've gotten a lot of trouble recently for confusing those two terms. Um, And so you have this Jewish family living in Los Angeles and exploring a lot of questions like this, it turns out that one of the three adult, young adult daughters, one of the three young adult children in the family didn't have a bat mitzvah because, A, she was being a rebellious, spoiled little brat, and also because her father found it very easy to cave on this because he really wanted to go and uh, to some cross-dressing summer camp experience that nobody knew he was, he was having. But uh, there's, uh, there's a rabbi who's brought in as an amorous partner uh, to one of the other siblings, and, and there's uh, one more moment where I can't remember what thing they're doing, but they're doing some kind of observance, and I think the rabbi is going to be present at it. And, and the third sibling, Shelley, as they're walking in, says, what are we, a religious Jewish family now? Uh, and, and to me, what I got at that moment is that maybe one of the mistakes we make in conversations like this is assuming that anybody dealing with any kind of identity kind of sets their throttle at something and leaves it there, you know, that it's at 60 J and then it just stays there for the rest <laughs> of your life. J is the unit of Jewiness. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that really, our whole Colin lives. McEnroe just coined a unit of <laughs> Jewiness. Let's put that out there on Twitter. determined to get me tweet 60 J. Okay, WNPR, Colin, you can tweet about that. So, but you know what I'm saying? That in fact, our whole lives, no matter what we are, we're throttling up and down. And 
I thought it was interesting that transparent when you have this incredibly nuanced portrait of where Judaism is right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a show that is, you know, that it's not just Jews who are, who are watching. And then you have, um, you know, the, the jumping off point for the piece was about the death of the actress who played Mrs. Wallowitz on The Big Bang Theory, which is classic sitcom, the stereotype of the Jewish mother just shrieking and wearing a house coat and smothering her kid. And the only thing she was interested in is whether her kid was dating outside the faith or not and, you know, guilting him. And then you have this you know, beautiful, thoughtful portrayal. And it's not fair to compare a network sitcom to, you know, Amazon's whatever experiment that is. Um, But, you know, I think that there's, you know, it's easy to be really reductive when you talk about Judaism in general. But remember that Judaism has always been this very dialogic faith, that the whole Talmud is basically people saying, people just arguing with each other about what it means to be Jewish. And I think that that comes from a very legit place. And, and I think, Mark, also that it really explores the push and pull of secular life and secular transition against uh, Jew, religious life and, and, and religious transition and ethnic transition, too. So dad really wants to go to this summer camp where he and Bradley Whitford uh, from the West Wing, from West can, Wing can, dress, can, dress, can dress up as women. And right. so he doesn't put up the kind of fight that he would about uh, Ali having her, her, uh, bar, her bat mitzvah. But then years later, it's really this stain. It comes right. back as this so, huge stain. I mean, one of the things I see as a journalist talking to religious people of all faiths all the time is that Americans, I mean, this is the land where you don't have to be anything, right? You don't. But if you're not anything, you are by default something, which is either, and the two, the two somethings I think you can be, and these are gross generalizations, right? These are, these are reduct- reductive stereotypes of both, is you can either be like the red state Walmart shopper, or you can be the blue state NPR listener. And both of those are particular forms of consumerism where you're letting the, the 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 choices of what you buy and consume and listen to and where you set your radio and where you wipe take out your credit card determine your identity right most people at various points in their life want to transcend that a bit and they want to think of themselves as not just sort of consumerist Americans who maybe have an obligation to vote but not much else they want to think of themselves as Roman Catholics or Jews or maybe they want to think of themselves as people who are in some sort of deep service to other people or maybe they want to think of themselves as artists but people look for ways to transcend that other that existence that otherwise America just hands us through advertising and consumption and I think that um, what was so interesting about Transparent is the pull for the Jeffrey Tambor character and I always think it's funny that Tambor for a bit dabbled with Scientology about 10 years ago but the <laughs> But the pull for the Jeffrey Tambor Mark character— Mark knows the dirty religious laundry of every celebrity Every celebrity. But the pull for the Jeffrey Tambor character is not between Judaism and, you know, shopping. It's between Judaism and 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 giving over some part of himself to his to his gender identity. Right. Something very, very profound. Very profound. And, and what's amazing is then he merges them. I mean, then he's like saying he's living as a woman in episode five or six, and he's the one who—she's the one who remembers the proper melody of the Shabbos— prayers. Mm-hmm. So they become nicely. There's no reason those have to be intention at all. You know, just to sort of go to another part of that cultural continuum, Dan Friedman, you know, I think one of the other things that we know is that increasingly over the last 20 to 30 years, American popular culture, I mean, well, we did a show about sitcoms recently, which I was making the point that really from the beginning of sitcoms, what happened was there was sort of spillover from Borscht and Vaudeville. And so, you know, very early on, our television idea of comedy was really, really dominated by a Jewish comic aesthetic and kind of has stayed that way. Uh, it may have morphed and it's 
it's different now, but uh, and and Seinfeld is certainly different from Jack Benny, but it, it stayed that way. Um, and and you, know, you can sort of add to that now that you know the do, the other dominating cultural aesthetic probably of the last thirty to forty years has been black in in music, in sports, in fashion, and just name it. You know, African Americans now really are set another trend. And and with with each, I wonder if there isn't kind of an interesting tension, and it's kind of the tension that does come up in that Seinfeld episode, where you know where Brian Cranston, as his, his dentist, who wants to be part of something that he really has no business being part of, but he's he, it's he wants to be included in something uh, that he can't really be included in, and it seems to me one of the interesting paradoxes of, of modern Jewish identity is that it it has become very, very attractive. It has a much bigger influence than 2.2% of any population would typically have. And so you have a lot of people who kind of want to get in on it without really paying the price of admission in any particular way. Yeah. No, I, we just had a piece in the paper this week by uh, our columnist Alyssa Strauss talking about, I think the, I think the title is called Tom Brady's Menorah because, you know, he's got one of those and, and why not? <laughs> and, 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 you know, he, you know, he, let's, he could easily pay the price of admission but uh, although although if the price of admission is 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 um is a bris uh, so a ritual <laughs> circumcision maybe he couldn't pay that anymore but um yeah and and of course um uh cameron diaz and benji madden had a chuppah at their wedding recently and you know so you, you've got this um sort of place where judaism seems to have a certain way of providing uh, appealing rituals and ritual objects that are um, trappings of a certain type of upper middle class lifestyle, but have meaning to them. I think this is what Mark was saying as well. You know that it, you know, in terms of the tambour character, you know he's not searching between two things that are meaningless. He's escaping his meaningless thing, and he's caught between two things of meaning that maybe don't have um, valency for him at that exact moment. And I think that that's, you know, that Judaism is one of those things that's in the popular culture that that has these rituals that provide meaning and ritual to, in, in a beautiful way, to um, to daily life. You know, so that, you know, the intentionality of putting um, uh, a chuppah up and, and explaining what that's about. So the, the canopy above the bride and the groom at the wedding, I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and why shouldn't other people take that? You know, the, the Judaism, as I said, has taken a lot of these rituals from elsewhere. There's, um, there's a Christusa or Christusa, which is like a mezuzah, the, um, the small um, uh, scrolls that are put in normally a metal um, uh, holder on the doorway of a doorpost of a Jewish house. The, um, some uh, entrepreneurial Christian guy has got um, has turned a Christ a Christusa, which has got uh, Christian um, uh, uh, scrolls inside uh, inside this that he's encouraging um, Christians to um, put on their doorposts. I, you know, I think this is it, it's 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 a way. I think there's a, a dearth of meaningful experiences in 21st century consumer culture, and I think that Jews, because we've been fighting. Uh, or discussing or being told what we should do for a long time and disagreeing with that have got a good way of uh, of dealing with that and and there's a bunch of people out there who want to to find meaning and you know so i think i think i see, uh, although i joke about the price of admission i think that that's not really the question you know uh, good luck to tom and good luck to cameron like you know if they, if they like our stuff then by all means do their version of it it's a question for people inside to think about how they're going to, what's meaningful to them and how they pass that on to friends, family, and down the generations. All right. I think one thing that's uh, go really ahead, Marjorie. Nice. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. 
I was going to say one thing that's really nice about Jewish ritual is that so much of it is home-based ritual. Mm -hmm. So if you're anxious about a synagogue or it brings up too many icky God questions for you, lighting candles at home, there's something beautiful always about candlelight anyway, doing a blessing over wine, um, breaking bread together. You know, there's a reason that I think that there's this sort of fetishization of Shabbat and um, the idea of taking a a computer-free day, a technology-free day. Um, you know, making hamantash, and these are all things you do in your house that don't have to bring up uncomfortable questions about God, but make you feel a sense of identity and belonging and connection to the past. Right, and th- sorry, just to take up on that, that you don't need, if you, you don't need a rabbi for either marriage or circumcision ceremonies and, and most other things, and even if you do have a rabbi in, the, in both of those situations, you probably don't need to have God, and, uh, and you know, and, and there's, you know, one of the one of the great things I think about the Jewish tradition is that it's is what Margie was talking about before that it's a, an ongoing human interaction and interpretation of what it is to be Jewish and to have an ethical and religious take on the world around us and the people around us. It's, we're going to just uh, grab yeah. a quick break here. Uh, we uh, also Ryan King, our intern, also talked to Levi Alpert uh, on the pathways of the UConn campus. We'll end this segment with a clip two from Levi. I think we have such an interesting history, the whole idea of being spread out. Wherever these people were, they were sort of outsiders. I mean, constantly getting kicked out from place to place, notably you know, Spain and the Inquisition. I guess we don't think of Spain as having a thriving Jewish or Muslim population, but they really did a number on, on those people. That long history of wandering people, I guess, strengthens the the cultural side of it, a sense of camaraderie wherever these people are. An example with, like, American immigration, early 1900s, late 1800s, with Italians and and Irish and Jewish people, you know, they all would kind of have their own neighborhoods, have their own areas, and I guess the Jews were always unique in that, that they didn't have a specific country they came from, but they all had the, the religion. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Kelsey Bissell and Julia Pastel. Thanks to Ryan King for collecting audio for this show. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Joe Lieberman. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff, no, no, never mind, we're not going there. And now... Back to Colin. We do have to talk just a little bit about um, the the relationship between Jewish identity and Israel. And I can make it uh, uh, as fresh as today's headlines. Uh, so Netanyahu, as everybody knows, has been invited to speak to Congress, but invited by Republicans in what amounts to kind of a breach of protocol. So our own senator here, Dick Blumenthal, this week is struggling over whether or not to attend. And he says, well... I'm here as a senator from Connecticut, and I have to make a decision about what serves the national interest. And obviously, I am Jewish, so I will be inclined to go. But I, you know, have to make a decision on what I think is the right thing to do. Uh, so, Mark Oppenheimer, worlds are contained in, in, in that statement. But right. I mean, the worlds contained in that statement is the, the age-old um, criticism of, of Jews or the fear that Jews 
are actually beholden to a foreign power, right? So he's one of the things going on in his mind is if I say I'm going because I'm Jewish, oh, whoops, I just said it, then will the anti-Semites say, well, of course, he's, you know, he's, he's first and foremost a citizen of world, you know, Jewry, and, and hence, of course, he would go. But then, of course, there's the fear that if he doesn't go, that a lot of Jewish contributors and voters will actually be upset because they do expect him to go because they do have a special affection for Israel. And then, of course, there's the fact that he's, a, he's not a, a deeply um, – uh, ethnically committed uh, or religi- religiously committed Jew, from what I from what I can tell. I mean, he may have been the most religiously committed Jew on the Harvard College swim team in his <laughs> year, but otherwise, you know, he's not like the Jewiest of senators. He so, didn't butterfly on Shabbos. He did. <laughs> so, so I just think, I mean, the poor man. Like that was not the question he wanted to be hit with. To me, this is such an interesting question, and so um, um, I'll, I don't know how much, how well either of our other two guests connect to this particular topic, but I'm sure there's some other version of it. So we had this case that Mark covered a lot of this Episcopalian chap- chaplain at Yale who said, you know, this kind, this kind of untoward thing about anti-Semitism in Europe and basically said, well, you know, uh, it's to some degree or other fueled by, by Israel's own behavior and – I don't know, Mark, he went a little further than that and said, what, that... I mean, essentially, he, he, this was this, uh, uh, Bruce Shipman. I mean, yeah. you know, and I'm sure that Margie and Dan both both read about this and, and followed it, that, um, you know, and Dan had to publish on it at, at the forward. Um, I mean, he seemed to be saying, let's, you know, one thing we have to take into account when Jews are murdered is the behavior of Israel, which I said was, you know, a little bit like if, if blacks are, you know, murdered by police, do we say we have to take into account the behavior of Ghana or Nigeria? <laughs> it just, you know, but, but to Shipman, that was entirely intuitive. So I, I don't know. I mean, there, it does always kind of lurk um, because, you know, Jews have a theolo- do have a theological commitment to this sort of ancestral land, as Muslims and Christians also have theological commitments to, to ancestral lands. So Mark and I agree about almost everything, uh, and we enjoy each other's company a lot. I would say the sweater he wore to the, the forum he just moderated in New Haven might be one of the breaking points uh, for us. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I saw this lengthy interview that you did with Shipman, in which, you know, he tried to explain his position a lot more. And so to my eyes, this is the, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point here, I promise. To my eyes, as I was reading this, I was thinking, well, he's kind of explaining himself. And, and I, I would imagine that he's getting, this is in tablet, and, and I ma- would imagine he's getting some of the people who are mad at him back. And then I started to read the comments, the comments yeah. and people were madder than yeah, ever. Yeah. And I thought, here is there's a disconnect here, you know, because I saw it one way, and and Jews who read Tablet reading that piece saw it another way, and they were more offended than ever. And I do think this might be an interesting area of Jewish identity where, you know, I mean, one community does, still doesn't get or understand the other community that well. So, Dan, react to that. Well, I think the, I mean, the, there is there is a, a split here between, I mean, there's a complicated connection between. Uh, Jews in Israel. So there's a theological connection. There's a you know there's a, um, uh, like a, um, a, a a peoplehood connection. You know that the birthright is trying to help um, join up, and 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 also just there's a legal connection. So that um, Israel has got a right of return, which says that every Jew that's born in in the world has an in potentia citizenship, and uh, you know that that's intended to. Um, you know, provide any Jews that are in trouble around the world uh, with with a homeland, and and there is only one Jewish state, uh, and so that means so that that's the argument against the Ghana thing. You know, that there are a number of different um, places that African Americans uh, came or were forced to come from in in Africa to America. So, on the one hand, there's a complicated and multivalent connection between Jews around the world and Israel, and and on the other hand, there's uh, and and in America, uh, there's there's a political component to that as well, that we see 
borne out that most Jews, you know, that the vast majority of Jews are liberal leaning and 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 are probably largely, um, you know, that they supported Obama probably would not support uh, Netanyahu, certainly insofar as he's not helping the peace process along. And and so between those, um, those so there's a disjunction between the political views of a particular regime and practice in the Jewish community and what, um, you know, and then this sense of heart and religious belonging and connection to Israel on the other side. And I think that what we see is the people who are, uh, Israel can do no wrong on the one hand, and the Israel, and the, on the other hand, the I feel very strongly about this, but Israel has clearly done something wrong. This regime, this uh, particular army officer, this um, particular action, something has gone wrong. And so you, you see that butting up against each other. Um, in the in the forward comments, in the tablet comments, in you know, the Times of Israel comments, you know, and um, and that's uh, you know, so that that is a rift, and and it, and it tends to play along um, other divisions, uh, which are religious divisions, that, you know, much. You know, you know Dan, I want to make sure uh, we're yeah, just sorry. we're just about out of time. I, I, I want to just let Marjorie have sixty seconds on this anyway, which is like what I can give you. So do do with them <laughs> okay, whatever. I'll do with it. them whatever um, you want. It took me seven years of being a columnist before I even wrote about Israel because it freaked me out so badly. Um, and uh, when I ended up sending my kids to a Zionist camp, um, I couldn't believe myself. Um, and people, I get accused by the left and by the right, which I, actually I assume all three of us do, yeah. of, um, you for know, sure. we're the worst thing for the Jews, we're the best thing for the Jews. But um, I think being ambivalent about Israel is very much a an American uh, privilege and a right, and uh, a lot of us feel that way. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to have to stop. And just first of all, thank everybody. This this conversation flew by. I mean, this really flew by. You guys are all so great. Marjorie Ingle, contributing writer, editors for uh, Tablet Magazine, uh, working on a parenting book that looks at the Jewish mother stereotype. We can't wait. That's the spring of 2016. Dan Friedman is the managing editor of the Jewish Daily Forward, also written for the Ali G Show. No, that's diversity right there, those two things. Uh, Mark Oppenheimer, of course, writes the Beliefs column every other Saturday for the New York Times. We are pulling back from obscurity his one of his many books, 13 in a Day, about a year spent crashing bar mitzvahs.